are listening to the new episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you? Come on in, grab a seat. This is my show. Welcome. Uh, today uh, is another part of our Fuji Film Creator series. Uh, so get ready. We're going to go deep into a director's process on today's episode. Uh, we're going to tackle a lot of the insecurities that we all have as directors, as creators. We're going to talk about finding your tone and your style, uh, being comfortable with your tone and style. We're going to go deep into uh, the elements that nurture creativity. Um, we're also going to talk a lot about finding um, your confidence on set, about how uh, to stop essentially beating yourself up as a director that so many of us do. Like, How do we build such high expectations for us to accomplish stuff that we are lucky to do. We barely get to do. We barely get to practice this stuff. And so how can we possibly expect that we do it perfectly every time with years in between? Um, I, I Look, I'm guilty of this myself as a creator. I, I hold myself to such a high standard. I put myself at such a high watermark that uh, I find myself getting frustrated consistently if I'm not hitting that point. Um, and it's unhealthy, right? All you're doing is causing internal turmoil with yourself. And oftentimes the folks around you see you going through that turmoil. And you have to remind yourself that our job is surrounding us with people that we trust, with creatives that can give us fantastic options and ideas and bring their life experiences into our stressful situations and try to work together to find the truth within the story that you're telling. Um, and uh, we talk about a lot of this stuff. We actually talk about uh, how younger filmmakers get stuck and hung up on technique and how you sort of build these parameters in which you think you should tell an entire story without taking the story into consideration. There's a lot of really fun stuff talk about on today's show and it wouldn't be possible without the support of fujifilm fujifilm is behind all these episodes fujifilm is a sponsor of the show we'll hit them up on the ad reads halfway through um, big shout out big congratulations to the winner of the fuji camera we gave away uh fujifilm uh still camera and video camera we gave away the xh2s and a zoom lens to a lucky winner I think that sound, I don't know if you guys are going to hear it with the noise canceling. There are some like big World War II planes flying around today. Like squadrons of like Spitfires up there. It's a cool thing about being here in Los Angeles is that apparently there's some sort of movie being filmed and they're just buzzing around. I heard it twice during the interview too. Uh, really cool stuff. So big shout out to Fujifilm. Thank you for making this show possible. And um, our filmmaker today, Gina Hackett, she wouldn't have been able to make her new film, The Appraisable, The Appraisal, Michael, without uh, the support of Fujifilm as well. And so uh, we talk a bit about her recent film. We talk about her other films like Beauty Marks, Amateur Nights. Uh, if you want to check out her work, if you want to see trailers for her work, go to Gina Hackett with two T's, GinaHackett.com. Um, and check out the trailers for her stuff. 
It is all up there. You can see her distinct style. Um, I love it, man. It's uh, very moody, uh, very saturated in a vibe, which is specific to her. And it all, some of it feels very Terrence Malick to me. There is a bit of Cassavetes in there. She mentions she mentions Cassavetes as we talk about the stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, pretty cool. She's very talented. Excited to have her on. Excited to introduce everybody listening to the show to the stuff she does. Whew, my mouth is barely keeping up with me today. But before we get into it, I just want to say those new listeners that are here, welcome. If you are looking at our queue, our list of episodes, and you're like, wow, these guys are like 212, 213, wherever we are right now, whenever the show comes out, um, where do I start? Do I go all the way back to episode one? Yeah, you probably should, right? You probably should go back to the beginning. But if you want a more curated experience, go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There I put together episodes based upon subject material. So if you want to listen to other directors, there's a whole director section, there's a a really great uh, cinematographer section with Academy Award winning cinematographers that have been on the show. Uh, we get real nerdy with them. There's a fantastic actor section. Peter Stormare from fucking Fargo, the movie, not the series, Fargo, Big Lebowski, Armageddon. He's on the show. There's a great actor selection. Go to inlovetheprocess.com and enjoy. Enjoy the hours and hours and hours of content that we've made for you for free <laughs> you're welcome um let's see what else is going on um big shout out to everybody who follows me on instagram at mike Petchy or the podcast at in love with the process pod on instagram i have seen all of you who were interacting with our contest you were posting to our sponsor pages i love all of you i will try in some way to uh make it up to you all if you did win that contest by getting more contests lined up for the show. Okay. So that's how I'll, that's, that's how I'll make it up for you. We'll give away more stuff. Um, and, um, you, thanks for supporting all of my work. I know many of you are interested in this new short film that I'm working on. I'm feverishly in the edit right now, trying to make things happen. Um, I will let you guys know when that is available to be seen. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I don't want to rant and rave anymore. Let's let's get into it. Gene's got a lot of really great stuff to say on the show today. So strap yourselves in. Turn up those noise-canceling headphones. Find a nice, comfy place to sit back and relax and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Gina, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Of course. I'm happy to be here. I'm I'm well. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. Where are you? Are you in Los Angeles too? I'm in Los Angeles. The the beautiful. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. I'm out where am I? I'm in Glendale. Okay. Are you, where are you? Where are you, West Side? I'm in Los Feliz or Los Feliz, as everyone seems to say. Oh, you're not that far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. How long have you been out here in LA? I have been out here for about a year and a half. I moved sort of a year after graduating from Columbia for film mm. school. Um, I thought I was going to move right after I graduated, but then COVID decided to happen. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, Put a little no. wrench in things. <laughs> <laughs> no, me and my girlfriend moved out here four months, five months before COVID. Mm. And so, yeah, we uh, we were locked. It was actually a really good transition for us because we felt like everybody was reset to zero so we could become full residents by the time COVID was over and sort of go out there with everybody else. So it was a it was actually a pretty cool transition. <laughs> Yeah, well, and you chose the place to, that has space. Like, I was in Brooklyn, where I was just like, oh, my God, get me out of here. I need <laughs> yeah, a backyard. I a of, yeah, I had a lot of my my friends that uh, lived in New York, and they were couples, and they were just in this tiny little room the whole time. And I'm like, man, yeah. how did you survive? Yeah. I, yeah, that's very apropos of the film that we're, we're discussing today. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh it is and I'm, I'm excited to get into all that stuff but before we tackle the films let's yeah. just talk a bit about you like um why out of all the things that you could do to tell stories why did you choose film like where did it come from for you yeah Ugh, i always struggle with this question because i i knew i was a writer like very early like maybe as soon as i could write like four years old i mean i really just knew it like I would I would just have sentences floating through my head and think oh that's pretty good where'd that come from like I and I don't I truly don't take credit for it 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 really does feel like channeling oftentimes but um but yeah I I started very early and I think for a long time it wasn't even about screenwriting because I didn't really know anything about that until well into college um yeah but earlier it was sort of you know it, it took shape in journalism mostly like in college i or sorry high school i started reading um a lot of the you know new journalists like joan didion and uh, hunter thompson and i was like really obsessed with all of those people and the way that they would sort of look at the world and and make it feel like fiction but that it was actually you know the the spiritual truth of it uh, mm-hmm. was there it, uh, as as well as the facts, oftentimes, but you know, sometimes not so much. But I was really was really interested in, in into that stuff and took that into college, and then realized like, oh god, like all of journalism feels like uh, I don't know. It just the the kind of like twenty four hour news cycle. I was like, I do not want this to be my life. I really like <laughs> to relax. <laughs> yeah, and that's the antithesis of relaxing is doing news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even like working on the college paper, I was sort of like, I don't like. I deeply resented being like summoned from my bed to go report on <laughs> some kind of happening on campus. <laughs> I was just like, I need to to rest. So yeah, <laughs> so that didn't feel like the medium. Um, and and that was like around the time that I started taking some film classes, which were really like experimental, like experimentally oriented and very kind of um, very like academic and rigorous and theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And, and I love that stuff, but I was also so curious if, you know, I, you know, I, I would be curious about where the stories came from. And, and um, my brain did sort of work in that way already. I think like when I, even when I was little, I was sort of always concocting these like plays or, you know, before I knew what a screenplay was like, these these plays and and stories that I would make like my neighbors <laughs> put on with me <laughs> for our parents. Well, where where did that come from? I mean, were you nurtured by your parents as far as creativity is concerned? Did they tell you stories when you were a kid? Like, where did this they come did. from? Yeah, I think my parents are both really creative people. Like, mm -hmm. my mom is a music teacher and. Um, even in her retirement now, she's like, she also like has novel ideas and, and like writing music, but, um, but she was a music teacher. My, my dad was a, an elementary school principal. So they were both teachers. Hmm. Um, and he was a, he was a painter as well. Like they were both very creative, but not exactly. Um, they didn't choose like the artist's path per mm -hmm. se. Mm -hmm. So they, uh, you know, for, for a lot of my upbringing, they were, they were super supportive. I think it, it is always scary when your child goes into like <laughs> the arts, <laughs> but they have been super supportive like recently, um, if not the whole time. So yeah, while no one in my family is a practicing artist except me, mm -hmm. um, it it's, you know, to the extent that those folks can kind of engage with it. They're very supportive. Yeah, I had a very similar. It's I ask these questions because I'm always curious about uh, creators that start very young, and it really is nurtured. It, I, I feel like through all these interviews that I've done, as I, I find that that is the common thread. Because very similar with <laughs> with me, like my dad was a paint, like would paint as a hobby, but he was a banker. Mm -hmm. So he was on the complete mm. opposite end of the spectrum. And my mom yeah. would photograph as a hobby, but she was just basically, uh, you know, raising four kids. And so mm. um, it was interesting when I made the jump into the art world, um, they supported me, but the first initial jump, they were just sort of like, yeah. Are you, really? And I was like, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah so, you wouldn't rather be a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't rather do anything that has a paycheck. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and they're probably right on some level, but thank God we're here. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it's funny because of how many of my friends went through the whole process of, you know, being educated for that sort of nine to five job. And then a lot of these nine to five jobs sort of disappearing. And then a lot of the world right. sort of going into this freelance work from home sort of mentality and right. how difficult that transition was. And I, I kept saying to people, I've been doing this shit for 20 years, man. It's not, yeah. it's no different than it was before. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's like, you have to wake up every day with like your your reason for living at hand. <laughs> <laughs> do you, do you find that you have to, uh, what do you, okay. So what's your main source of motivation? Is it anxiety or is it, <laughs> is it a need to tell stories? Like what is, how do you drag your ass out of bed every day? <laughs> um, well, some days I don't No, I mean, I, <laughs> I guess what is my, I mean, I don't know. This stuff just really floats into my, I think it comes from, real experiences, but it's abstracted from me to such an extent. It, it's abstracted from my own life to such an extent that I never recognize it as like a personal story. Mm. Um, 
so, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about how their story, their screenplay, their whatever is very personal to them. And I have never been one of those people. And at times I've even sort of failed to failed to understand yeah, how if my own stories are personal at all. Like it sometimes feels like I'm almost like a like a hired gun. <laughs> I just I I'm like writing a story that doesn't have anything to do with me that I'm almost like hired by by my own subconscious or something. Well, I mean, um, look, let me interject here quickly and just say that I've seen your stuff and there is a commonality with a lot of it, whether it's just yeah. sort of tonal um, just the, the vibe that it, that it all has. So even if that's not directly pulled from your current situation and from your childhood situation, you're obviously obsessed with some sort of vibe, like a tonal feeling. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I'm, I mean, thank you. I, uh, I guess, yeah, that, that follows me around and I don't really know what it is, but it's, <laughs> It's a, it is a tonal vibe and it is like on some level, and I don't say this to toot my own horn because it's what I'm worst at, but I, I my, my uh, poster designer, I remember on Beauty Marks, my last film before this one, mm -hmm. um, watched it. And I think honestly, some of my work like seems to land better with Europeans. So maybe this is just that, but <laughs> he, <laughs> he was like, oh, it reminds me of David Lynch. And I was like, I think what he's picking up on is like, for me, what feels really weird and like, it doesn't work, but like, sometimes it works for other people and, uh, feels like intentional in a way that I'm not always sure it is, but it's that, it is that weird vibe. Like it almost feels, I'm obsessed with dreams and yeah. I really feel like some of my stories like come from my own dreams and, um, just, just like that kind of really, I don't know that really deeply subjective or um, subconscious dream life. I feel like is in all my work in a different way. Like I like to make stuff that feels like you're in a nightmare on some level. Yeah. Believe me. I that's my vibe too. I love the subconscious. <laughs> yeah. I love that world. And I would also back up a, a half second here and say that I think that, and I've, I've talked about this on the show a few times you get known for what is essentially your mistakes. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. So your mistakes yeah. become the formula for your style without even realizing that it's your style. And I just I just shot a short, what, uh, a week and a half ago. And it's been a while oh, since cool. I've done one. Thank you. It's been a mm -hmm. while since I've put it all together. And as I pulled this piece together and I, I you know, production design and put everything in there that I needed to have in there, um, the folks that were working on it, they were like, this is, this is like one of your movies. I feel like I'm on one of your films. And I, w I looked right. around and I went, oh yeah. <laughs> like I was, I'm obsessed with blue collar. I'm obsessed with this. There's all these diff different sort of obsessive things that come from, I think what I was passionate about when I was a teen, even before I was a teenager, when I was an mm -hmm. adolescent, I think a lot of this stuff sort of stuck with me. Um, and it right. becomes part of my storytelling without me really fucking thinking about it you know right yeah yeah it's always nice when people recognize that it's like very comforting to me when people say things like oh this feels like one of your films or like oh that's so gina or whatever mm -hmm. i'm like what and then yeah i look around and i'm like oh yeah i guess it is but that's um, that's nice i mean that's kind of what we do as directors is create yeah tonal worlds and if totally if, if you're if you're talking about a dream 
dreams to me always stick in strange ways afterwards. It's it's never the literal version of a dream for me. It's always like ah. right. It's always the, <laughs> the after the, image. Yeah, or like the smell of it, you know. And I know that's mm-hmm. a really bad way of describing it, but it's an accurate way. The way that your senses feel when you're in it. And I feel like I spend most of my career learning all these techniques and tricks to try to trick the viewer's senses into feeling something similar. And so, mm-hmm. of course, I'm mining from the most powerful sort of triggers that I've had. And that, that was usually in my adolescence. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It all goes back to, to then. <laughs> so, Well, so then at that point, you could say that your stuff is based upon your life, right? It's based it upon is, yeah. some form of well, it. I- yeah, totally. I think, you know, I, I have gotten caught up in this question of like, is my work personal over the past few years? Because I think the culture has just taken such a dramatic turn towards that stuff, which is a good thing. I think like we're craving, you know, like not only personal stories, but like we're craving like auteurs who like know what to do with their stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So then, as a fellow director that also goes through the process of trying to get things made and goes through the process of representation and all that stuff, I, f- right. I feel like a question like that is usually stimulated by outside sources and yeah. maybe go on a limb here and say sources that are trying to sell your content to other folks. Like they are chasing trends. And within those trends, they're trying to define you in a way that is, you know, clickbait worthy uh, of that time period. And so then you ask yourself a lot of those fucking questions. I I think I'm finally growing out of that. I think I'm getting to a point where I go, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) Like, like, I'm just going to make the stuff that I like. And uh, I know that people like my stuff, so I'm not going to make this clickbait worthy. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? Right. I know because a lot of it just isn't real. And I mean, the ways in which it's not real and doesn't affect, like I, I believe in the intelligence of audiences Mm -hmm. and, you know, people will notice a lot more than you do even, um, and feel a lot more than you will. But I guess, yeah, I I guess for me, it's like part of, cause uh, your knee jerk reaction, I think is to say like, that's, that's not, or at least for me, it is to say that's not real. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to do it my way. And, and like, it, it's really tricky because sometimes those instincts are the correct instincts and it is like that's what they'll admire you for later if the mm-hmm. thing gets made and it's really successful they'll say oh my god they just stuck to their guns like so many stories of this over the years in, in this industry like of, of our heroes just saying no to like the studios or whatever oh, um, for sure like, for sure i think even shallower than that you look at these people that are trying to sell you I know that this happens a lot in the commercial world, you know, because they're they're really mm-hmm. trying to put you on the on the Walmart shelves of directors out there. It make it easy for the clients to sort of browse around and pick who they want. But right. you know, you'll make something successful, and I found this with all my work. The stuff that I do at home in the garage ends up being the thing that clients are banging on my door for three years from now. And right. and then what happens is the people that are selling stuff suddenly go, Hey, uh, how come your stuff's not more like Gina Hackett's stuff? You know what I mean? <laughs> Meanwhile, they were giving you shit for that whole p- period of time where you're like, well, I don't want to define myself in any specific way right. like this. Let me just sort of discover this, which is a dangerous thing to say to people that are f- trying to make money off of you because they're like, there's no assurances of discovery. Like, what? You're going to go and That's pull, true. You know? So 
yeah, something yeah. to think about. <laughs> I'm I feel lucky in that my reps are really they pose it, they put it to me. Like they say, you know, this is kind of what this person is asking for. If that doesn't feel like authentic to the way that you want to tell this story, then we don't have to do it and we'll just say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm lucky in that way, but I guess like whether or not you have reps like that, it's about what it's about finding your own compass on those questions. And that's just what directing is. I mean, I experience that more now as a writer because I'm writing more for TV and film, mostly TV, but, mm-hmm. um, and that just has like these insanely specific mandates, um, for better or worse. And, and you can, you know, shit on them, but you can also say, what if I use this just like when you're on set and you have sort of certain parameters and limitations, you can say, how could I use this limitation to make the story better mm-hmm. and to really like dig in and find a way for to incorporate this into the way in which I'm telling the story authentically. Like I feel like my work lately is ex- more exploratory in the marketing sense in, in that way, like thinking about how to pivot the project to make it as they say, undeniable <laughs> or propulsive <laughs> or all these words that I've come to really hate. Yes. Um, but how could I actually dig in and, and do that and, and give them what they want, but also in a way that actually moves the story forward because maybe they're not, they might not be right in the way that they're asking for it, but they're, cause they don't know what you can do, but, they are asking for it and they might be hitting upon something else that you can bring out that, that yes. needs to be brought out. So yes. those are the kinds of questions that I'm sort of sitting with lately and with my own work and responding to the market and all that. Yeah. It's a tough, it's tough, right? It's tough being creative in such a, a consumer based marketplace. It's very tough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially when you're trying to discover things that can be very difficult. Yeah. But you're right. You know, like I find that as a director, I work really well within limitations. Like if if the, yeah. if I walk onto a set that has no no lights, no set, no nothing, and you can create anything, that is intimidating to a certain aspect where you're like, it's like the blank page, yeah, yeah. You're like, fuck. What do we do? Where do we put this unit? What do we? So, like, um, yeah, restrictions are good for that. I just want to make sure the people that are listening to the show also understand that you. It's very easy to get caught up in the. Uh, trying to appeal and chase trends that, especially in our time period, they're changing on a week-to-week basis. You have no oh, totally. idea. You have no idea yeah. where it's going to go. So. And they're changing in relation to the common denominator of viewers, which like, I kind of refuse on principle to yeah. write for. <laughs> like, I don't write for an audience, exactly. Like, I write something that I feel like is asking the kinds of questions that I'm asking yeah. and like doing the kind of new formal things, like something I've never seen before that is kind of for me. Like, I don't, I don't know. Some people may say they write for an audience and certainly directing is for an audience on some level, but mm-hmm. yeah, you can't, you can't go totally the other way and, and say like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to appeal to the lowest common denominator. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, and, and appealing, I think, is the wrong way to look at it, right? I mean, you have to understand mm-hmm. what the lowest common denominator responds to. And if you mm-hmm. have an understanding of that response, then you can manipulate that response the way that mm-hmm. you need it to be manipulated. Like, if you want people to feel afraid or want people to question certain things, then especially as a director, you can use techniques that are 
that are uh, making them really sort of pause and think about that stuff. So you you should understand all those things. But this was something that I struggled with for years where I'm like, you know, get lost in that game of like, ah, well, this is what the audience needs and this is what I should do and this is how I should write it if I want to be successful. And I don't know. I, like pandering is 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 one thing and, and, and using right. it as a tool is another, you know? Totally, totally, yeah. yeah. So- when did you, so you started as a writer or did you start directing? I started as a writer. I didn't really understand what directing on some level. I feel like I still don't understand what directing <laughs> is. Um, but no, I started as a writer. I started writing in college and I didn't feel like I was done with it at, at the end. And, and so I uh, like went to film school and um, that's when I started directing was in film school because at Columbia, they make everyone do everything. They make the producers direct. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the producers fall in love with directing and don't want to produce anymore. <laughs> and, um, but like for better or worse, we're all doing it all. So I had to direct and then I kind of, yeah, found what you were talking about, which is that people responded to similarities in my work that it's just, that's the weird magic of it where you just, the, the way that you, photograph things has you know has a voice behind it which i didn't really understand before film school yeah it's wild right I, I was who was i talking to i was talking to a cinematographer about this and and how um when you look down through the lens the thing that's so exciting about you know i started my career as a cinematographer and a director and so being mm -hmm. that person that looks down the barrel looks uh, at that frame through that glass first it's it's like it's like you know journey to the center of the earth to a certain extent where you've suddenly like mm -hmm. crossed into this whole new world and it's like well, well this is magical like how is the light going to affect things and what does right. that person look like in this lens and this perspective um it, it it really is a magical thing and and you almost feel like i feel like an explorer when i i'm on set and mm. i'm playing with these things and and then y you get ripped away from it you know, because you do it right. for a short period of time and then it's taken away from you and it's just memories of this. And as you go through and you edit, you're sort of stuck with what you've shot. Um, yeah. But, you know, you remember that. And so from I, I get sort of low, I have a longing sometimes to just sort of go back and look through that glass again and sort of discover what this world's going to feel like, especially now that I've been doing it for so long that I that automatically what I use and how I do has that tone, that vibe mm -hmm. and that smell of it. So like, what would this look like with that tone involved with it? And I, mm. I, I think if as a director, if you can really sort of develop that and that's what you're pushing for is to develop the ability to see the world in a very special way. Um, then the audience follows you for that. Same, I mean, that's why I'll go see every Ridley Scott movie. That's why I'll go see right. every David Fincher movie, you know, um, Catherine Bigelow's movies, because it's so specific to them. They've put together the tools and the, the years of life experience and everything else so that when they turn a camera, we can all be in the same room and turn the camera on the same fucking thing and it would just feel differently. Totally. Yeah, I know. And I get tripped up on that between because like on this most recent project, I knew that I had to photograph it like differently or direct it like a bit differently than than any of my work before. It just felt really like a different like the story demanded something different. Mm -hmm. And I was really hung up on like, okay, I know, like, I just have to trust that my voice will come through on this. But, but where's the 
kind of place where voice meets like attending to the story because directing is like building a railroad like you have to just move the people forward yeah. in the story and it and like attend to certain things in such a way that it, it like clarity is something i think i really struggled with at the beginning of film school like to make something that's absolutely clear um yeah. is is really hard yes <laughs> let alone to kind of like build it in this way that feels like it's escalating and doing all these things so yeah it's it's like a complete act of faith to just go out on a limb and say oh my voice will be there at my side even if i take risks because that's that's i was really worried about that even on set on this last project because i hadn't directed a film in three years yep. like that that felt like eons ago yep yeah, no, it was the same. Yeah. It was the same for me. Now, this movie that mm -hmm. you're talking about, this is the appraisal film that you just did, yeah. right? Yes, I just saw the trailer yes. for that. It's very cool looking, mm. and it, <laughs> thank you. And you're right; it looks very different than your past pieces. Very, yeah, different than it's your past pieces. it's super different. I mean, I I think that was part of what excited me when we wrote the story. I co-wrote it with a friend of mine, Walid El Katani, and he's been he's been my co-writer on the last few shorts I've done, uh, we just like bounce off each other um, on those things. But, but yeah, it, it demanded something more continuous. And so I, I immediately was like, what if we shot this in a one -er? mm -hmm. and that like, I know that oneers, you know, have this kind of like mythic status, especially in film school and with like young, mm -hmm. young, uh, I want to say like young like dudes i i don't know that they you know but it's always like gets such a rap as like oh like like these young like you know do like dude directors like love waters uh -huh. but they have this like universally mythic status as like wow if you can pull off a oneer but i was really not interested in the like the kind of feet of it yeah. i was really interested in that as the vehicle for the story because it started the idea i think came from like if you could see your future you know just on the other side of the window in this kind of pivotal decision moment would you still go through with the decision mm -hmm. and and for that to work for me i was like it would be so interesting if we sort of saw like their future kind of 30 at first it started as this literal like 30 second delay in the script where you would sort of see something happen in this couple that was, you know, oddly similar to the couple inside the house that we were with mm -hmm. and something would have like some gesture would occur outside of the window. And this is still in the film, but some gesture occurring outside of the window in the other house next door, kind of interacting with the couple that we're watching on this kind of like reliably timed delay. Mm. And I was like, for that to work, you kind of don't, you kind of have to not cut. Yeah. And, and so that was very different from, from the way I made films before, because I tended to, I think the director that always made filmmaking feel accessible to me was Andrea Arnold mm -hmm. and, and even Cassavetes too, like the, both of them and the way that they do Verite was so appealing to me as like mm -hmm. a young director, because it's just the way that my, I, it's, I don't know what it was that made it feel that way. It's so like, so subjective and, and on the level of cuts and shots and like all of these kind of inserts that add to like the texture of the world. And that was the stuff I was really interested to try 
in the beginning of my career, I think I'm still in the beginning of my career, but um, <laughs> in the very, <laughs> very beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and now like having this story in front of me that I, that demanded a more continuous shooting style. It was like, Oh my God. It's like the thing that I would mention about, I don't, how, how will my voice come through mm. if I completely switch the vehicle for shooting this? Um, but I think it still does. <laughs> so, you know, just goes to show that your voice is always with you, like on your shoulder. Okay, it is time to take a break to do the ad reads, the sponsor reads on our show. But before you guys skip through them, remember that there's always good little nuggets in these. Um, and a uh, big shout out to all the sponsors that have helped make and love with the process the biggest, the biggest filmmaking podcast of this year. Our numbers are higher than they've ever been. We've officially crossed just this year alone, we've done the equivalent of all the prior years of listeners on this show. So it has been an epic year. It has been a year full of really great guests. And none of this would have been possible without the help of our sponsors. And I don't mean just financial support. These guys are uh, suggested guests. They're hooking up um, really great relationships with uh, members of our show and uh, people in the industry, uh, we wouldn't have been able to get David James without Fujifilm. Um, and uh, we wouldn't have been able to get all these great filmmakers like today's uh, interview without Fujifilm. Uh, and I've met some great musicians through Jambox. Hopefully, as we push into the new year with Jambox, we're going to be interviewing a lot more musicians on that angle of things. So with the, what I love about the sponsors is that it's a relationship. It isn't just about a financial transaction. Uh, I mean, of course, it's helpful. It helps me pay for all the overhead that this show has. But beyond that, um, I really like forming relationships with these men and women. And uh, I like to go out and have drinks with these men and women. I love to hang out with them. So uh, stick around and show some love. Whenever you hear me do an ad read, make sure that you click the links in the description of this episode and just go say hello to them on Instagram. Uh, just so they know you're listening. It helps keep this show afloat. So first up, our friends over at Boca Rentals. Now, if you're in Los Angeles, this is the place to go to rent camera gear. These guys have an insane inventory of some of the coolest, some of the best glass, the, the type of lenses that you drool over. And if you've ever been to their Instagram page at Boca Rentals on Instagram, you've seen their posts. They will post about all brand new lenses that they get in stock. They will show footage that has been shot with those lenses, which is such an important resource for so many of us that are like trying to get our hands on new equipment and new gear. What does it actually look like? What shows have been shot with this? What movies have been shot with this stuff? It's a really great reference. Go to BocaRentals.com and just go through their inventory. Have it in your mind and know this. These guys love to support young filmmakers. That is their big thing. They understand the power of relationships. They understand uh, forming these relationships and supporting young filmmakers because as you grow, they're there. They know it. It's an investment in time with these guys. That's why I love them. 
That's why I made sure to get them as a sponsor on the show. As we push into the new year, I'm talking with the dudes from Boca. We're going to try to set up some contests. We're going to try to set up a lot more interactivity with them. So head on over to BocaRentals.com and see what it is that I'm talking about. I, for the past two projects, have rented my camera gear from these guys. Uh, I love them. Also supporting the show are our friends over at Puget Systems, the sponsor that has been here since the beginning. The guys that have been supporting the show since day one. Before we had any listeners, Puget Systems has been here and they've been consistent and they are completely loved by us. I am now working on my new Puget Systems computer. I've been editing uh, the new Gina project, which we shot uh, wide open, large format on the Airy Mini LF. And uh, these giant files have been running seamlessly. I've had at least 15 tracks of video playing real time, full resolution. Um, I love them, dude. And uh, with the Puget System, it smokes on Premiere and it also smokes in Resolve. We've been coloring in Resolve and doing all sorts of Resolve work too. Um, if you guys want the specs for my computer, head over to my Instagram page at Mike Petchy there. And uh, there's a post, scroll down a few, and you'll find it. I'll try to repost it again. You'll find it there, my specs for the computer. And if you want to buy the same machine that I have, reach out to Puget Systems. You can go to PugetSystems.com or you can go to the Puget Systems Instagram page and tell them, hey, we want to build a smoking machine like the one Mike has. Because I know as we're pushing into the holiday season and we're pushing into the new year, everybody gets panicky. Uh, what's my new business plan this year? Uh, my old edit machine isn't isn't hacking it. Hey, I just got some new clients that require larger format stuff, right? So if you're in the market for a new computer, Puget Systems are the guys to talk to. And if you want to build your own PC, go to PugetSystems.com because they're a great resource for all the benchmark testing that they've done and everything else. I love these guys. My machine has been smoking fast. It has been so great. I was just editing last, I just did two or three days of hardcore editing. Um, and the machine kept up with me the entire time, which is great. Makes my life easier, helps me find pacing faster, you know, especially when you're doing music videos and it all comes down to like five frames per cut. Is this gonna get cut on the beginning of her breath or at the end of her breath? Where does this go, you know? Um, so pewdiesystems.com. Uh, how you doing over there, Jeans? <laughs> uh, also supporting the show are our friends over at Jambox, jambox.io. These guys have been with us for the full year. I just downloaded clips from them this week for this new project that we're doing. I just downloaded a bunch of sound effects from them uh, that we're integrating into a new edit that I can't wait for you guys to see. Um, but uh, head on over to jambox.io. This is the place to go for licensed music i know many of you out there have your own podcast there's a lot of podcast creators that listen to our show i'm very humbled by that um, but also you might want to take into consideration getting some decent music for your show right and uh, if you're not friends with musicians um, you can very easily mm, allude to the fact that you might be by getting great music for musicians on jambox if you go to jambox.io right now they have wonderful subscription plans. They have the unlimited creator account for $9.99 a month. Comes with a 30-day free trial. And this gives you full access to all music, unlimited downloads for social media, web streaming, personal, and student projects. 
I have the unlimited commercial account for $19.99 a month, seven day free trial. I get everything from the creator plan, including Gina's loud uh, paperwork in the background and also <laughs> access to sound effects, stems, paid advertising that you can use for paid advertising, corporate business, weddings, and life events. Um, you killing a lot of bugs, babe? Where'd she go? You hiding in the closet? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're a student for six bucks a month, you get access to all that stuff. It's great. As long as you're using it for student project, film festivals, web streaming, social channels, etc. Um, I love Jambox. Uh, their sound effects library, I hope they build it up even more. Because there's, I find that when I'm cutting a piece, I need to have sound effects in. Especially if you're doing a horror piece. I can't pace it without sound effects. And so it's really nice to have a subscription to a service that I can go and find basic, simple things like bass hits, emotional hits, you know, uh, just tone stuff, which is really great. And so having that access and being able to sit while I'm editing, opening up a web browser and go, okay, this is what I need. And the licensing is so fast. All you have to do is write in what project is for, and then uh, you will instantly get access to the downloads. It's fucking great, dude. So it's a big part of Jambox.io is a big part of my post-production process. I usually have it open on one of my windows on my Peter system, by the way. And uh, it makes it makes my life easier. It really does. And it makes me look good. So head on over to Jambox.io now to uh, do change your work. I'll tell you that right now to change your work. Um, hold on a second while I'm sitting here and talking. I just want to double check. Do, 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 do. I'm headed to inlovewiththeprocess.com on our sponsors page. This is the place to go if you want to find any of our promo codes um, for any of our sponsors. If you head to inlovewiththeprocess.com and click on our sponsors page. So if you guys like any of this stuff, you want to sign up for any of it, Go there now and you can get all sorts of great promo codes. Okay. I just, because sometimes I forget to tell you guys the promo code. Uh, let's see. Supporting the show, big guys over at Fujifilm. If you go to fujifilm-x.com, you will see the cameras that both Gina and I are shooting with. And if you were the lucky listener that won our contest, you won a free X-H2S Fujifilm camera and zoom lens from us. Um, we love Fuji for a simple reason. Today's episode is a great example of it. They support filmmakers. I, there have been so many filmmakers that I've talked to, so many more that we're going to be talking to on the show that literally had Fuji come and say, you should make a film. We will support you and make a film with you. How many companies do you know that actually do that all the time? Not many, man. And not to mention the fact that they make a fantastic product that both Gina and I have shot beautiful images with, whether it's stills and whether it's video. It's the place to go. The X-H2S is a great video camera. It's a great second shooter. Um, you can actually get a PL mount adapter for it and start to mount anamorphics on it. It's an awesome lens for all those different things. So head on over to fujifilm-x.com. Follow them on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy, and you'll see all the stuff that we're shooting with that camera. We love it. You should love it too. Um, I think that's it. Oh, our friends over 
us. Um, who, who do we have left? Who am I missing here? I'm missing one sponsor. One sponsor today. Um, by the way, big shout out to everybody that has been posting on all of our sponsors' Instagram pages um, and uh, telling them that you appreciate listening to A Love of the Process. It was funny. I just got a note from someone on Instagram who said <laughs> that Fujifilm told them to stop spamming. I'm going to have a conversation with Fujifilm about that, FYI. Um, but yes, no, continue to spam. <laughs> Tell them that Mike sent you. Continue to spam. Um, oh, Indie Pro Tools. Indie Pro Tools is our last sponsor of the day. My link is broken on the website. That is bad. If you go to IndieProTools.com, there you'll find all of your battery power solutions that you could possibly need for your cameras, whether you're shooting with a Blackmagic rig, if you're shooting even with a Fujifilm rig, and you want to stop relying on a small internal camera battery, you want to run it out to a V-mount or a gold-mount battery, you want that battery to be the one battery that's powering everything, your monitors, your onboard monitors, your follow focus, the whole ordeal. That's why I found Indie Pro Tools. I hunted for a place that uh, made reliable batteries, affordable batteries. And if you go there, uh, you can save 20% off using our promo code LOVE20. It's at IndieProTools.com. Use our promo code LOVE20 to get 20% off your first order. Um, and buy yourself some sweet power solutions for your camera. Really sort of elevate it to the next level. I know that's the last thing we think about. Realistically, the last thing I always think about is buying a camera bag, right? It's always camera lens, right? You just sort of get down the list. Maybe you have a camera rig, you want some sort of cage. That's always sexy stuff. And then you're like, oh, maybe a battery would work for all this. It's always second thought for me. Indie Pro Tools is the go when you have that moment. I'll tell you right now. Like I said, love 20 for 20% off. There you go. Ad reads for the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll get right back into it. Gina. must have been challenging because then you know we build habits you know as we mm -hmm. sort of do these things like if i get into trouble there's a specific like toolbox of kits that i can go through and go right. all right if we just do it like this but when you have such a, a rigid sort of rule set for this it being a oneer, it must have been challenging when you ran into some uh which we all do i'm sure you ran oh, into yeah. a couple of moments where you're like fuck i don't have the standard sort of like, uh, you know, band-aid kits that I would have to fix these sequences. Totally. Yeah. I mean, in a way you have like different band-aid kits, like in, in posts, we did do some blending of takes like in mm -hmm. one spot, really. Um, because in the end of the film, I actually got to the point where I was like, well, these are just, I, I want to cut for performance. I don't want to be hamstrung by this commitment to a wonder. Mm -hmm. So, so I did. And, you know, it's not a true runner for that reason. But um, but like, yeah, again, like that, it's the sort of like, do I remain faithful to this idea of a runner, this like mythic thing that everybody loves for some reason? Or do I like cut for story? And, you know, that that was my Band-Aid kit in the end there, um, just cutting for story. But I think prior to that, yes, like maintaining staying in that one shot for basically the entire like 
90% of the film yeah. was terrifying. Even on set, I was like, how is this good? Like, there's just <laughs> no way that like in two, like in basically one day of shooting, because we, we didn't really barely started shooting on the first day. First day was just rehearsal. Yeah. And then we did like one or two takes that, you know, like something of course went wrong with something. There's so many like gags involved and yeah. the choreography and like the steady cam was like so heavy that to stay on someone's on one's feet for eight minutes yeah. um, with that thing was like, it was like asking someone to like carry a car on their back for, <laughs> for eight minutes. It was like really intense. And the the study cam operator would come away with like sweat dripping down his face. And he was like doing yoga in the front yard. And <laughs> I, <laughs> so we didn't really get off the ground until day two. And then within that day, I was like, what are the chances that something's not going to go wrong in yeah. in every one of these takes and like something is wrong in the one i used and and by the way like no one cares and no one i yeah. you have to think like no one cares and yeah. no one's going to pay attention to that if you're keeping them in the story and if the performances are keeping them in the story which i think they are so yeah, yeah. it's but it's terrifying <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, it's funny when you were saying that uh, the Warner is such like a dude filmmaker thing. Yeah, I'll go even further and say that it's like a, it's very much a bro filmmaker thing because yeah, because I think that when you're younger, when you first start in this business, you have a lot to learn and you have a lot to learn with techniques, and it's it's easier to get embedded and fascinated with specific techniques and practice techniques right. and become obsessed with those techniques and those. Are, when you're younger, you're also looking for something to cling to, sort of like a religion. So you're like, this, you know, Scorsese is Bible, and, and like how he does right. his runners <laughs> and how he does all his stuff is Bible. I think because you're just learning. And as you sort of right. go, go through it, you know, I've had conversations with young filmmakers that are like, I shot my entire movie with a 50 millimeter lens. I'm like, that's like saying that you're a chef in a kitchen and you only use a spoon to make this movie. Right. Like you have <laughs> all this other shit at your disposal. Like uh, right. once you sort of get past that stage as a young filmmaker and you have to obsess over these things to learn them because a lot of these techniques and tricks are really fucking hard to learn. Um, right. But once you move past that, you start to tackle the harder, the more difficult thing, which is creating uh, uh, an environment in which actors can give you the performances you need. It's, right. you know, having a refinement having the ability to refine what it is that you're doing and understand what is great and what is not great and understand, you know, the fact that you're standing in the middle of a tornado and you're trying to mm -hmm. fucking make an omelet, you know, and you, right. you, you, you know, you're, you, you're just understanding as you look around, like, okay, I know that that barn is coming at me, <laughs> you know, like so here's how I can step aside from that. And, you know, and so that's where the, cr the craft really starts to form. And, the thing that's so great about our industry, as opposed to a lot of other sort of flash in the pan industries, whether you're talking like even sort of photography or fashion or all that kind of stuff, with mm -hmm. age comes re refinement and with age comes respect and and the ability to do this stuff. And sure, they may market some young buck that just comes out of nowhere and it's like, you know, this – this 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 young girl like came out of her mother with the ability to do you know PT Anderson and you're like that's not true, right. <laughs> <laughs> but you know at, at the end of the day it's it's just that experience and that time and that understanding and you sort of get past the technique and I think 
the fact that you use that technique as a storytelling engine is is wonderful. That is the reason mm -hmm. to watch it to start because you're like, look, I'm going to tell this story within this specific moment, and it makes sense based upon the timing of the performances. Hell yes, but for you to even and I don't think you do, but if you if there's even a piece of you that's like, well, you know, I had to like break the one or to, in order to get performance. Who the fuck cares? Do that for right. performance. Do that because the film is better because of it. I'd rather watch your movie that you've refined through your experiences as a, as a creative than go mm -hmm. and watch, you know, the bro piece that's like, hey, right. I, I shot this <laughs> whole thing. And I go, yeah, of course you did. I watched it. It was really tough to get through. <laughs> but it was a wonder. The whole fucking thing was a wonder. Congratulations. Here's your little trophy and, you know, continue on. Yeah. 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 Well, you, I'm glad you concur that it's a bro thing. I got worried that the bros of <laughs> Los Angeles were would rise up against me. No. But yeah. I no, there's a lot of bros in the industry. There's a lot of like, it's like, how, why are you guys working in this field? There's a lot of bros in this business. It's funny. Yeah. By yeah. funny, I mean not funny. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, no. I, I haven't seen the whole piece yet. I can't wait to see the whole piece because I'm fascinated oh, yeah. with what you've done at this point. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I will send it to you. Please, please do. <laughs> please do. So at this point, do you, how many, how many pieces have you directed? How many films have you done now? Mm, I've done three that are finished. I did one that was never finished. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, three three finished ones. And and do you are you feeling secure in your skin as a director at this point? Oh no. Huh? No, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Like I, I really admire the people. I have lots of friends like this who kind of are become their best selves when they're on set in yeah. a way. And yeah. I don't identify as one of those people. <laughs> I always talk about this moment on my last short Beauty Marks, which where like essentially the trucks like I was standing there in the morning that we were set to shoot and everybody was driving upstate from New York City with like the grip truck and all these cars and like the moment that the trucks rolled in mm -hmm. is like a phrase that I'll use sometimes to mean like the moment where you're like oh shit this is real yeah um <laughs> that moment is just very real and like uh, the distance between like we have all of the tools to make this movie right now and like we've made a movie is like a very it's like a vast distance <laughs> in my head because like it's not the sum of its parts like the movie is more than that mm. so you are and you are the only person who can really like take take all the sum of it of take all those parts and make more of this than the sum yes. um yes and the pressure of that is enormous um and as a control freak like you s said about like kind of all the elements that can go wrong like i i just it's like everything in my body it's like restraining itself from yelling like, like you know you're watching the monitor and it's like mm -hmm. i can see that he's not in position but i can't yell like get in position <laughs> um <laughs> i don't know like stuff like that just is is drives me up the wall i guess and and frustrates me to no end but it's like you have the you can't yell or or control everything because you have all these like beautiful people like trying their best to to serve this crazy idea that you had so 
and you know like those people are giving their own contributing their own thing that like it's good that you can't control them because they're offering something different so yeah i don't i don't have the kind of like lovely set experience like it's just pure turmoil inside of me and then on the outside it's like yeah like like perfect clarity hopefully and like and kind of like list being a good listener and staying present and like being able to pivot to different things like that does not come naturally to me on on some level well i mean time will get you time will get you there like it, it yeah. really is just really is time you know, and, and, yeah. you know, like the last piece that I just did, I spent a lot of time because it, with COVID and everything, it's about the same time that it had been for you to direct. It had been about three years for me since I directed mm-hmm. something. And so there was a whole lot of prep and a whole lot of learning. I learned a lot. I, like I, I did a bunch of research on, on uh, directing. I came to realize that everything I did before that, I was like, how the fuck did I ever call myself a director? You have like one of those moments. <laughs> we, oh, like, yeah. We, like, well, it's so like, it's so it's such expensive practice. I mean, I use this phrase a lot too, but it's it's like I I also am very aware of how much everything costs. Like yeah. that still will never come naturally to me. Like being on a set where it it just costs like more than I've ever had that amount of money, yeah. you know. <laughs> so <laughs> And like, there, there's like all these other things you could be doing with that money that might mean more than a film in some ways. But like, like that pressure too is is real. And yeah. I don't know, it's yeah. not a useful thing to be thinking about. No, no, set, you got to flush that out. You got to flush that out of your system. You got to get that <laughs> out of there. Uh, yeah, man, it it's interesting because no matter what. No matter how much experience you have, you're always going to have something go wrong. You're always going to have that conflict of stuff. And uh, man, I did just like on day one of my new piece, I got about halfway through the day and we're using a snow machine and there's all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. that was just like extraordinarily difficult. Um, and you get into that night, and that anxiety is so fucking high where you're just like, what am I doing? Like, have I failed? Like, have I failed? Like, how did I? And it just running through my head going, I prepped and I did this right. and I did that. And I, I did all this stuff. I did all the steps the right way. All right. Here's that thing that I have no control over, which is the which is life. I have no control right. over all this <laughs> other shit. And as a director, it's, that's the worst feeling where you're just like, right. you know, you spend so much time convincing people to let you have the opportunity to do what it is that you need to do. And so you, at least I do, I try to kill as many variables as I possibly can with my director's right. part. And then uh, when the night happens, shit, you just could do like, you know, like you can just lose stuff and the power yeah. just disappears and everything just sort of goes out. And I, I had to remind myself in the peak, I think this is the difference. Cause when I was younger, that peak could have swallowed me whole, you know, like right. the, the fear and the, and the concern and like the, you know what it is, you're beating yourself up. So the failure that you're feeling because you're in this moment. Right. Um, but thankfully, I've sort of hit this point where I was able to sort of distance myself from it slightly and go, asshole, you've done everything you could have possibly done. This is completely right. beyond your control. This is inhumanly beyond your control. So pivot, right. like pivot and just pivot here and make sure that you keep everybody on point with you and try to pivot. And then move on to the next thing. And there's a sense of comfort in knowing that I'm not the only guy that feels this. Every fucking director feels this at some point in time. So how do I handle this right now? This is what defines me, is what I'm dealing with right now. 
you know? Totally. Yeah. And like not letting that pressure to even define it in the moment um, get mm-hmm. to you because, you know, like ideally you'd be like working in like a control room <laughs> somewhere that no <laughs> one can see you and you'd kind of like be able to figure it out with no one looking at you. Yep. And at, or at least that's my fantasy. It's <laughs> like my nightmare of being on set is that like, not only do I have to steer the ship, I have to do it with the entire crew looking at me. Yeah. So you know, I don't know if that's like a, maybe also a concern because I'm a woman in some way. Like it's, it's strange to be looked at by so many people, um, on set. I just find it very strange. And, <laughs> and to, to make a decision, you know, I, I'm very indecisive in real life, but I think you're right. There is like something beautiful and also kind of like saying, listen, what can I do right now? And, and pretend that no one's looking and like, how, how can I steer the ship back on track or like use what limitation we're coming up against to make it better, as I said. And yeah, that stuff, it does feel like there can be a really like, like an ecstasy in that. I think I kind of experienced that on this last one Yeah. Um, where, you know, there is a problem or it's not quite what you imagined. And then you kind of tweak things and, you know, it's, it works a little bit better and then you tweak more things it works a little bit better. And mm-hmm. like that in itself, you can start to, you need to, I think for me, it's been about like learning to feed on the, the feeling of like, yeah, like, okay, it's working, it's working. Like, what can we do now? And rather than, yeah, that internal spiral where you're like, you don't know what you're doing. You're a failure. <laughs> <They're>, they don't know, <laughs> but you're a failure. Well, it's that failure voice, right? And you're constantly yeah. fighting that. But I will say this, and you, you mentioned that, you know, being a woman on set can be tougher with so many eyes on you. I think it really sort of depends on who you've surrounded yourself with crew. Like I yeah. just worked for my girlfriend. So Gina, who's my girlfriend, Gina Manning, she, mm. she directs as well. And I just shot for her this, we did like 11 music videos in like a couple of days. It was crazy. Oh, wow. Um, it was insane. And so uh, it was interesting to watch her direct because she's really sort of come into it. And we were doing, I won't get too specific, but we were doing a scene where stuff wasn't working. And mm-hmm. I'm working for her as her cinematographer, but there's also a piece of me that's working for her as her boyfriend. And so a lot of that sort right. of plays into it where it's like, I want to make sure that she's getting the best fucking thing in the world. So I'm like completely driven to make it as, as good as I possibly can. And it it wasn't working. And it was nice to see her go, guys, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do, but we'll figure it out. Hit me with some ideas. And there's mm. something so nice about trusting the people that are around you so that you can say that. You can actually come out and go, I don't fucking know what to do here. So what do you what do you guys suggest? And here's the difference. It's it's not weakness. It's opening up to your tools as long as you as the director are still being decisive. So when right. there's a bunch of people that are like, hey, what if you move it this way? And what if you do that? The director's still sitting there going, okay, great. That's a good idea. This is a good idea. That's a good idea. Let's try those. Totally. Then you get the respect of everybody that you're with, you know? Totally. I think that's another learning curve that like has come with time. um, As you said, because I think when I was starting out and especially in film school, I felt like a, 
a pressure to maintain the facade that I, as the director knew everything. Yes. Yep. And, and like, as I've grown, I think it's been more like what you describe, um, with, with this other Gina, lovely (laughs) director, Gina, um, Yeah, where like, yeah, you can op- you can open it up and you can say this is not work. I mean, people can feel when it's not working. Yeah. So you're only digging yourself deeper if you kind of don't open it up to the group or don't ask for input and kind of try to force the point. Um, but yeah, it's like we're all just people and like people know that the director doesn't know everything. And and often like I'm just looking at like the focus puller and I'm like, God, you're like so much better. at your t- You're like so much more keyed into the action than me on some level or like the, st- the steady cam operator. The actor has like a different perspective. And so, yeah, that, that facade that like dir- the director is the director. I mean, the director is kind of it's it's such a weird nebulous term because it can mean sort of so many different things in those moments of like problem solving. And I think it's just, for me, it's been, yeah, more of like a, I think the the best way that I felt with it, with it is on this last film and like the, the kind of like groundedness to, to ask those questions and ask for those solutions and for input. Uh, I think that's really key. Yeah. Cause then you feel like you're starting to feel the development of it, which is really, which is, is really wonderful. Like once, mm-hmm. once, you, and a lot of you young directors that are listening, once you start to cross that threshold and you have like these really great experiences and I can rattle off five or 10 moments on set that really changed the way that I treated myself as a director. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that most asshole directors that I know aren't treating themselves the right way. They're, they're beating themselves mm-hmm. up and they're so insecure and that insecurity oftentimes turns to like nastiness and rage and anger right. because they're they're beating themselves up they're usually holding themselves to some sort of un, infallible sort of you know pedestal that no one no one is born on this planet with the ability to understand what a 35 millimeter lens looks like <laughs> Right. <laughs> you physically have to watch movies in order to know what these things right. do. You're, it, it's not like it's genetically passed down to folks. <laughs> and so yeah. I don't know why we try, we put these people on such a high pedestal and we call them geniuses and they have all this. No, they were nourished that way. They had a family situation, parents, people that raised them that allowed them to continue following that question that they had or that 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 right. need that they had that's that's where that comes from is that right you know yeah and they you know i think it's also important to to even have the kind of opportunity to make mistakes yes because like i was lucky in that i went to film school and made like all the mistakes and and probably i will continue to make all the mistakes forever but mm-hmm. but with with hopefully a bigger ratio of successes to mistakes <laughs> but like yeah even like the guys that you know the 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 heroes the the great ones like they were given resources to make mis- like a movie is is you know i think it was like spike jones um or no it was spike lee I, uh, sometimes i mix up the two spikes but um i think he said that like every movie is a miracle and it really is yeah. because yeah you know, you're just, it's just about hiding the mistakes. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I Oftentimes, whenever I finish a movie, I feel like I dodged three car accidents. You know right, what I mean? Exactly. Where I'm like, if I was three seconds too late, I would have been mauled by that truck. <laughs> like I, right. And you're like, how the fuck did we finish this? Oh, what? Well, you just got really lucky. And that was a lucky thing that, we, that happened. Um, yeah. And like, there's often those kind of like quasi spiritual moments when you're making a movie that kind of like show for, I don't know. I, this is like the, the kind of new agey person in me, I guess. But like, I feel like on every one of my sets, there have been like weird parallels to the reality of shooting it. What do you mean? Um, what do you mean? I guess like, what's a good example? Um, I don't know if I can list them without getting too like personal and in the weeds, but mm-hmm. even like, are my old um, film producing professor Jack Lechner? He was like a Miramax guy, like big studio guy, and he like has seen it all. And he would tell these stories where he he had this rule for um, for for like movie making, where this eventually in the process of making the film, the the sort of the story of making the film becomes the story of the film at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. All I can say is that I, I can point to little weird resonances in the way that we've made the films and, and the things that have shown up. Um, like, I oh, I remember this is a good example, actually. On my last short, Beauty Marks, the girl that we cast as um, in this role that's kind of like this strange girl that may be lying. The whole film is about like, is she lying basically <laughs> about this kind of abuse that's, that she's alleging. And, um, and the, the character in the original script, this kind of got cut out, I guess, in the, in the final version, but they're, in the original script, she's supposed to be this person who claims that she's from this specific part of Texas and, and uh, the other character eventually is like, I'm from that part of Texas. You don't have that <laughs> accent. So you, if you're lying about that, you could be lying about other things, basically. And the girl that I cast as um, in the role of the liar <laughs> or potential liar, we it's, you'll have to watch the film to know if she's lying. But um, And then you still won't know, by the way. But, <laughs> but she... Um, this actor, she's actually gone on now. She's um, she was in that movie. Uh, We're all going to the World's Fair. She was the main the main character in that, and she's now like starring opposite Timothy Chalamet in Bones and All. She's like wow. not 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 Taylor Page, but his sister in the film is played by Anna Cobb, who is like this incredibly talent. She's like a young like Al Pacino wow. in, in like a in like a teenage girl's body um, <laughs> to me. <laughs> But she, she was like from that part of Texas and yet had this accent that was like an amalgamation of like her mother is Ukrainian and she was going to school like with kids from the Bronx. And so her accent was this weird like mix of different things. And yet she was from the part of Texas that we like wrote in the script and, and she was the one. And it, it was just just little weird coincidences like that. I don't think are coincidences. I think they're kind of signs that are pointing you forward as you're making the film. Yeah. 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 I hear that. I've, I feel, I felt, I felt very similar things making stuff mm-hmm. where, yeah. you, where you're in it and you're like, this is too much of a coincidence. This has to happen. Let's just do it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Very cool. I'm I'm excited to see your new piece. You got to send it to me. 
I really want to see I, it. I definitely will. Um, and uh, we should, because we're sort of hitting the point, we should probably wrap all this stuff up. Um, I'll For be sure. sure to put links to all of your work in the description of this episode. We'll send everybody over there so they awesome. can watch your stuff. And uh, I'm excited. Uh, so you got big plans to do something else? What's next for you? I guess right now I don't have anything on the horizon in terms of directing, uh, but there's a lot of writing happening at the moment, which I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've been taking a show out for development for like the last year um, with some interest, but like it's just taking it takes a little longer. It takes forever. It takes forever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I joke that it's like my Mad Men or something, but I'm I'm not like staffed on the Sopranos like, um, (laughs) like that guy. So, so yeah, it's taking a bit longer, but that's okay. And then in the meantime, I'm just sort of working on some new pieces and I want to keep working with um, Pauline Chalamet, who is in this film, this Mm -hmm. new one. Um, She and I, I think work really well together and she's kind of the reason that the film happened at all so so we have sort of big plans to work together but it's all a bit i think this is like a it's it's like a transition moment in a way mm, very cool and the last one was the one that you teamed up with fuji film on right was that yeah 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 how yeah. was working with them yeah pauline is like she's so involved at every point of the process she like i'd send her every draft of the script she's she's you know she's just the best and she's really smart about story and um yeah it it was just great honestly she's she's just like a close friend at this point so it was (laughs) it was wonderful yeah i mean they're wonderful people all the way around i mean i wouldn't have met you without them so i'm happy that uh, we got connected (laughs) man it was very yeah same very cool to meet you very cool to hear your story and like i said you have a very specific tone and style which I enjoy. Thank you. So I can't wait to see the other worlds that you turn your lens on, you know? Thank you very much. That's really nice. And same to you. Thank you so much, Gina. Thanks for being on the show. Of course. Thank you, Mike. There it is. Today's episode in the can. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, Thank you, Gina, for being on the show. Um, Like I said uh, at the beginning of the episode, uh, I'm a big fan of her work and I'm very happy to be able to uh, present it to those of you who haven't seen her stuff yet. Um, This is one of the best parts of doing the show is that uh, I get introduced to new voices, new filmmakers, and I get to hopefully introduce all of you to their work and i just want to say when you go through our list and you look at episodes and you don't recognize names i know oftentimes when you look at podcast lists you sort of scroll through it looking for those hot names that you know right you're like why do i know peter stormare you know what i mean as you're sort of scrolling through and oh eric messerschmidt yes i know who that is you're always looking for those hot episodes but In my experience, not just with our show, but other shows, I was just realizing this the other day when I listened to Mark Maron's podcast, the WTF show. Um, Whenever I click on a name that I don't know, I'm genuinely surprised 
by the stories that I hear and that I learn from, and we try to do that here on the show. What makes us special from other podcasts, the larger podcasts out there usually are dealing with booking agents consistently all the time, and you're hearing a lot of the same guests, high profile guests that are on some sort of PR circuit or promotional circuit. And so most of the time you're hearing the same stories from these guests, right? The stuff that uh, they're out there to promote. That's the reason why they go do shows for free. Every once in a while, we'll get someone on that's on the promotional tour, but I would say 96% of our guests that come onto the show are people that I fucking randomly find. I find or friends of mine tell me that I should have them on or a sponsor introduces me to someone who I think is incredibly talented. Um, and that's how we find our guests. So some of these names may be unknown to you as of now, but I guarantee you they will be names that you will know four years, five years, six years down the line. And you will have heard them first here on the show. I know I talked to Gina uh, after we recorded, and this is her first podcast. So I am honored that you came on the show, Gina. Thank you for being here. And uh, thank you, everybody, for clicking on today's episode and listening to it. What did you think? Maybe you found a bit of inspiration. Um, I always enjoy finding sort of a common bond with other directors. And it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your gender or where you come from. As soon as you put, you decide to change your business card, as soon as you decide to change your job description and you become a director and you end up on set for the first time, we've all shared something very special. We've all had the same anxieties. We've all had to inspire and we've all had to be in that edit room when we didn't get what we needed. And we're all learning, all of us, every time we do something, we're learning something new. I think that's what makes this business so appealing, also so destructive, emotionally, but ultimately rewarding, is that we never really get our shit together. We never really have it all figured out. And it doesn't matter who you talk to, whether you're talking to the hottest new young actor on the marketplace, or if you sit down and have a conversation with Clint Eastwood, he still learns 80 something years, still learns every day. And I think he's got to pass away wishing that he learned more. Guaranteed. That's the obsession that we have as storytellers. So if you felt a bit of inspiration, you should. If you felt like this episode was romanticizing filmmaking, it wasn't. This is what it is. And I know in prior episodes, you've heard us go in the other direction and be very cynical about how the filmmaking process is, but it's also wondrous and wonderful. Let me tell you this. I'm excited to see that new Spielberg movie. Is it The Freedmans? Is that what it's called? which is a sense, it's, it's essentially a biography of him, right? And how he grew up as a filmmaker. That movie is what you feel when you are doing it right, when you're on set, when you're directing, and you bring it together, and you're in the edit room, and the pieces come together, and you feel so great. Maybe for a short little period of time, but we're always chasing that, like crack addicts looking for our next fix. That's it, man. That's the job. So if you decide to go down this path, if you decide to turn your back on any sort of normalcy, if you decided to turn your back on any sort of schedule, 
any sort of reliable income, and you're about to go off and change your entire life and try to build some sort of plan on a fucking pathway that is consistently changing and very thin and fractured and like you it's so hard to find gravity in what it is that we do the only thing that keeps me grounded is i just remember i remember those moments on set those moments of discovery i remember those moments in the edit room when things start to come together and i'm constantly constantly starving to turn all of my elements, my lenses and my lighting and everything on something new and be the first one to look around in this undiscovered scape in front of me. That's it. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. Uh, more episodes on the way. If uh, I don't know when this show comes out. I don't know if it's going to be pre-Christmas or after Christmas. So I think it'll be pre-Christmas. Hope you guys are getting ready for the holiday season. Hope you guys are uh, going to do something fun, get together with people, have some life experiences, you know? Go do something fun, man. Go eat something great. That's it. I'll see you guys next Tuesday.